Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. The parable of the prodigal son. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this is my son, for my, this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked, what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has re received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young cat, young goat, yet I, yet I might celebrate with my friends. But when his son when the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead, and for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Okay, bye everyone. Um, <laughs> Awesome. Thanks, Lee family, and thank you, Joe, uh, for leading us in that, in that song. So we are continuing. We're halfway now through our current teaching series that we're calling Rock of Ages. Rock of Ages, where we're, we're sort of looking at different attributes of God related to his nature and his character. Uh, just what are the timeless truths about him? that we can sort of rest in, that we can uh, re really just be certain about in uncertain times. And so this morning, uh, we're going to unpack the attribute of God that we call uh, God's grace. We're going to unpack the grace of God. Now, we're going to be spending the majority of our time in the Gospel of Luke, specifically Luke chapter 15. But before we get into that, I do want to quote the words of Jesus in John chapter 10, verse 10. When Jesus, speaking to his disciples, tells them that the thief 
uh, uh, talking about the devil, uh, uh, he has come to, to steal, kill, and destroy. But in contrast, he, Jesus, has come to give us life and life in the full. And here's why I want to start with that. It's because I want you to see that whatever it is that, that drives your heart or, or fills your thoughts or determines what you do throughout the day can always be drawn back to what you believe about uh, what will bring you the fullest life possible. And so if you think what you need for the fullness of life is like some type of relationship, then you're going to give all your energy towards that. If you think what you need for the fullness of life is success in, in, in business, then you will expend all your energy towards that. Uh, if you think that fullness of life comes from avoiding certain things that are maybe just hard or, or, or cause discomfort, then you will, you will run from those things. It will determine what you do. And the reason is because what's driving your heart, what's constantly driving our hearts is this idea that says, uh, for me to have a full life, then I just need this one thing. Then I need this piece in order to feel like my life is full. And the thing about the cultural moment that we just live in right now, with everything going on around the globe, is that we are in sort of this collective state of mind where we are just all together in discomfort. We're uncomfortable. We are longing. Uh, we, we, we don't like the way that things are, regardless of where you're falling on that spectrum, whether you're just over it and frustrated or you're um, fearful and worried. Um, um, we, we all are in this collective state of disruption. And the temptation for us in a, in a moment like that is to seek what we might call fullness uh, in created things rather than our creator, God. You see, the good news is that by the grace of God, even though we are far from deserving it, Christ has given us the fullness of himself so that we can enjoy the fullness of life. Now to unpack that, let's turn to one of the most beloved stories that Jesus ever told out of Luke chapter 15, the, the story of the prodigal son. And here's our first point. We're going to define what is the grace of God. What is the grace of God? All right, now let's go open up the scriptures together to Luke chapter 15. Uh, if you don't have a Bible available, you can use the tab in our platform. Uh, it says Bible at the top and to, to read along. Luke is in the New Testament. Uh, it's the third book of the New Testament. So go ahead and look under there. We're going to be at in chapter 15. Uh, and I want you guys to try and read along because it's important for us that you know that what we are teaching is actually coming from the scriptures. All right. We don't jump around from verse to verse or translation to translation. Like we want you to see uh, that what we are teaching, that the grace of God comes from the story in the text. And so we're going to immerse ourselves in this passage of scripture to see what God might have to say to us about the amazing uh, grace that he, he has, the attribute of his grace. So let's turn now to Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11, when Jesus starts telling this parable. It says in verse 11, he said, there was a man who had two sons. 
And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey to a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. All right, now here's what's happening. Jesus is telling a, a story, a parable, uh, that's intended to be sort of a metaphor. All right, And he introduces us on the front end of the story to a father who we're going to learn and see that he happens to be a pretty amazing father, right? And, and Jesus' intention, his metaphor with this parable is to really paint this picture, uh, uh, sort of this reflection. Uh, he wants this father to be a reflection of our perfect heavenly father in heaven, of God the Father. And so we see that this father has two sons. And as the story unfolds, we'll see how through these sons, we really get to learn how amazing this father is. But this father has two sons and the younger son we read about in verse 12. And in verse 12, uh, we see that this son is what really theologians have throughout the centuries called uh, a total chump, right? Uh, Obviously a joke. They don't call him a total chump, but that's what he is right? He's kind of a a jerk. Like he does and says some awful things to his dad, uh, even though his dad's pretty awesome. Uh, He dishonors his father. He walks up to him and basically says, hey dad, I want your estate and I want it now. Because as a second son, he was entitled upon his dad's death. Uh, He was entitled to a third of uh, of what was uh, of the um, father's uh, uh, assets and properties. And so, um, this, this son says, hey, look, I want what's entitled to me when you die, and I want that now, and I just want to take off with it, which in that culture and in that time was almost like a way of, like culturally speaking, it was a way of saying, dad, uh, it'd be good to me if you were dead, right? Like, I just want your, your stuff. I love your checkbook more than I love you. I just want to cash out on my inheritance and take off. Uh, when my sister, Cammy was three years old, um, there was this one night where she walked into my parents' room and she saw my mom, you know, putting her makeup on, getting all dolled up for this, this night out. And my sister, my three-year-old sister at the time, like she was really intrigued and said, hey, mom, what, what, what is all this stuff? What are you doing? And so my mom explains to my little sister what makeup is. And she puts a little bit on her, you know, just out of fun. And, and, um, and, uh, and my sister just looking around, she's like, wow, all of this is yours. Uh, and just for kicks and, and for giggles, my mom tells my sister, yes, sweetie, this is all mine. And you know what? One day when mommy is gone, you can have all of this makeup. Right, she just was just kind of having fun with it, and it was kind of like a morbid joke to make. <laughs> but uh, she was just having fun with my three-year-old sister, saying, "Hey, when I'm gone, you can have all of this makeup." And the funny part is, when my mom said that, my sister's eyes lit up, and she goes, "When's that gonna be, <laughs> mom? When is that gonna be? When is it that you're gonna be gone?" And and we can laugh at that. We find that sort of like a funny story because. She's only three years old, right? Like my little sister is only three years old. She doesn't really understand the implications of of what she was saying in that moment. But imagine if she wasn't three years old, but if she was 30 years old. If a grown woman said that to her mother, like that would be pretty offensive. That would be pretty appalling. 
And that's the sense of what's happening in this story when this son comes up to his father and says, hey, I want my inheritance and I want it now. It was a very offensive, pretty appalling thing to say to your father, almost akin to saying, uh, 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 you know, God or, or, or dad, I, it would almost be good to me that if you were, if you were dead, if you were gone. And that's how Jesus's audience would likely respond to hearing this part of the story. They would have likely been appalled because a father in this culture, like, like was a, was a patriarch with, uh, uh, within a state. And so he would be expected to respond to, uh, a son, a son like this who comes up to him and says something so offensive, uh, a father in that culture would be would expected to sort of send his son away only after giving him a solid beating, right? There were actually cultural laws that existed around that time that would uh, support a father treating his, his son like that, doing that to his son. But what does this dad do? In this passage, in verse 12, it says, he divided his property between them. All right, now it might be helpful for you to know that uh, back then your property was actually tied to your your social standing. And so this son is literally uh, asking his dad not just to give up his stuff, but to also give up his social standing. And what's wild is this dad actually does it. He does it. He he gives up the inheritance to his son. And so the younger son, he takes that loot from his father. He takes his inheritance and he just absolutely blows it away. Verse 13 says he squandered it in reckless living. Now, here's a principle that I don't want you to miss. is that when you give your life to Christ, he begins to go after your whole heart. When you give your life to Christ, he will go after your whole heart. He wants all of you, your whole heart. You see, a lot of us came to faith because we were maybe drawn to just the hope and the joy and the fullness of life with Jesus. But then before long, you realize that in order to get that fullness, you start to realize that God wants this area of your heart and he wants that area. And, and, and that sometimes, can sometimes be painful, Right? When God starts to do work on our hearts, we, we, you know, he starts to pull from us stuff that made us comfortable, stuff related to our old nature that we always clung to that made us feel comfortable. But God wants to give us fullness of life, and so he wants to take those from us. And so, look, for you, that struggle struggle might be like a struggle a struggle with, with anger, right? Snapping at your, your, your wife or your kids or your, um, or your friends, right? Impatience. It might look like lust having your eyes wander where they shouldn't, looking at websites that they you shouldn't, could be slothfulness, laziness, pride, could be the fear of man just always pandering to other people's thoughts and opinions rather than standing uh, true to your character and convictions. And you might be tempted, you might find yourself in this place uh, in seasons of life where whatever it is that your common struggle has been, where you're tempted to go back and turn to those things again and again and again. Rather than embracing your sonship in Christ, you say, hey, look, give me what's mine, Lord, and just let me go, right? God, God, give me what I want. Give me this area. Give me what I think you owe me, right? This area of my habits, this area of my comforts, of my heart, of my leisures, give those to me and just leave me alone. But you know what that is? That's practical slavery to that thing. 
That's practical slavery to that thing. You're allowing that thing to rule over your heart and to keep you from true fullness of life. You see, that's what happens to the younger son here. He squandered, the passage says, he squandered everything he had, everything that he had, seeking, he was seeking fullness of life. But he was seeking fullness of life in, in all the wrong things. And so he squandered his inheritance. We're talking, he went to, you know, like he went out on the city, you know, you imagine he went to visit prostitutes and bars. He's hitting the party scene with his entourage. He's spending money like it's growing on trees. And, and, and this is where it leaves him. It just ends up leaving him in despair. Read verse 14 down to verse 16 with me. It says, and when he had spent everything, when the second son had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. What we have here is a picture of a young man who's enjoying his new life until this famine hits, until it's taken away. And this famine uh, is a, uh, it's kind of like the, their version of, uh, of an economic recession. Right, his money's already spent. Whatever assets he has left, whatever properties he's have, he has left, has lost all their value. So he's like upside down on all his investments. And how often do we find ourselves in that position? I'm not just talking like economically, but spiritually speaking, how do we find our? How often do we find ourselves in that position where we are are binging on sinful habits, running for that quick instant fix again and again, but we end up in a worse situation than when we started with, and we start dealing with the consequences of that. And we see in verse 15 that the the only job that this man can get. Uh, in during this recession is to work on a, a pig farm. He went and hired himself out to one of the citizens who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. By the way, that right there is the worst possible job that a Jewish kid like him could get in that day and age. You see, because pigs were supposed to be like the picture uh, 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 of the, the epitome of an unclean animal. They didn't even eat pigs back then. So, so they didn't have bacon back then. Imagine that. Imagine a time and a place and a world and existence where bacon does not exist. That is how dark and twisted the world was back then. But we see in verse 16 that he's so desperate, he's actually considering eating the food in the pods. It says, he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Now at this point, what we see is that he has lost all dignity. He's lost all dignity. He's like turned into that beggar that everyone ignores. Nobody gives him a thing. The last time that, that, that somebody gave anything to him, it was his father. And so he is literally down in the pits. His face is in a pigsty and he's realizing what an idiot he has been. He's looking around, he's assessing his situation, uh, and, and then he, he just starts to, to come to his senses and, uh, and comes to a realization uh, that we see in the next few verses here, verse 17 through 19. But when he came to himself, he said, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. 
I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. You see, he has this epiphany. He comes to his senses and he's thinking, well, look, I'm sitting here in this pigsty. I'm about to die for lack of food and lack of shelter. And my dad's servants, they're not without food. They're not without shelter. They're not hungry. They're not homeless. My dad is feeding them and he's housing them. He's been a great father and I'm just a proud idiot. He finally comes to his senses, has this epiphany that he's just a bad son. And he thinks, I got to go home. Maybe my dad will let me work. Maybe he'll just allow me to be one of his servants. At least they're better off than me. I'll scrub the toilets in the house if I have to. This is what we call repentance. Repentance. He, it's, a, it's a turning around, a changing of mind, a changing of heart, a changing of action. You see, this son, he understood his sin. He acknowledged it out loud and he had remorse over it. That's what repentance looks like. He literally turned his back on his father in the beginning and towards sin. Back, he turned away from his father and towards sin. And now he's turning from his sin, from his squandering, and coming back to his father saying, I'm going to go back to him. I, I just want to live in his house. I just want to be with him and among him again. He awakens to the truth of his father's grace, of his father's nature and attributes to even go back and ask his dad to be a, if he could be a servant was an already an expectation of grace on his part. You see, to be received as a servant, to be asked to be a servant was already an ex expectation that his father would be gracious to him, that his father would give it him, would grant him a favor that he does not deserve. Unmerited favor, which classically speaking is what grace means. Unmerited favor. Favor. I want you to, to see how the father responds. Now in verse 20, <laughs> this is beautiful. And he, the son, arose and came. He went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. This is, this is so beautiful. His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. This is an amazing verse. This is an amazing verse. While he was still a long way off, the father saw him, felt compassion on him, and starts running out to him. It's almost like this picture that you have. You can picture the scene. Like, like it's as though the father was standing there at this estate with his eye out on the horizon, just waiting for his son's frame to appear, just waiting, longing for that silhouette to appear. And when it does, when he sees his son coming from over the horizon, this father just starts to run. He just starts to book it. Now, this is another one of those situations where it's really helpful to color in uh, between the lines for us. It's helpful to know a bit about the culture because for this ancient culture, a patriarchal culture, uh, the patriarchs in this culture, the men in this culture were not supposed to run, right? Like, uh, 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 young people could run, children could run, but not fathers, especially dignified estate owners like this father. Because to run, you had to sort of hike up your robes because, you know, they wore robes back then. And so you had to hike up your robes, burying your legs, which wasn't a kosher thing for a man to do, and, 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 and run uh, in, in order to run. Now, so uh, imagine like if you saw your neighbor 
hiking up a skirt, right, uh, to his waist, and his undergarments are showing, and he's running down the hill, and, and his and, and he's all exposed. Like if you saw that scene, <laughs> you might be concerned, right? You might be scratching your head, or perhaps covering your eyes. You might be a little concerned because that would be was an that is an undignified thing for a man to do, especially so in this first century culture. But this great man, this great father, he cannot wait to come down and reconcile with his son. And so he shows no reservation whatsoever, and he starts kissing his son. He just starts grabbing his face and kissing him. Uh, in the Greek, uh, that, that word, for, it's almost this, this really affectionate uh, fatherly where he's kissing again and again and again, right? He just can't stop. He's just overwhelmed with fatherly affection. I want you to read the next few verses. It says, Now, I want you to see now what unfolds in the next few verses. Beginning in verse 21, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. So the son says, Father, I'm not worthy to be your son, but please just take me as a servant. I'll take a servant's job, a servant's role. But this dad, this father will have none of that. He calls out to his other servants and he says, Come and bring my son the finest robe we got. He looks at his fun, you know, skinny malnourished finger and says, let's put the family ring on it. Let's put fine shoes on his blistered feet. Let's kill the fattest calf. We're going to have steak tonight for dinner, right? He says, my son is home. He was lost, but now he's found. He was blind, but now he sees. And tonight we are going to celebrate. We are going to party because my son has come home. He is welcomed. This son is welcomed by his father, not as a servant, but as a son, unmerited favor, unmerited grace. The grace that is shown to the younger son here is nothing short of extravagant with all the flair. But this is the kind of grace that God shows us in Christ. What did the son deserve? Nothing at all. He already took what was owed him. He took his inheritance. He squandered it away. He basically told his dad, look, I, it'd be good for me if you were dead. And he, this son, at this point, he deserves nothing from his dad. It would have been 100% within the father's rights to give this kid nothing. What do we deserve? What do we deserve from a holy and perfect God? Nothing. Nothing. The Bible says the wages of sin are death. How many of us can cast the first stone? How many of us can say that we're without sin? None of us. And so what we deserve is nothing short of death. That's what we deserve. But we'll, we hate hearing that. We hate being confronted with that because we like to think that we're better than we are. We like to think that you know, God sees something in us that's that's, that's, that's lovable. 
And there's a sense in which that's true because every human being is born with the dignity uh, of being made in the image of God. And so there is, uh, there is some, there are aspects to all creatures, all, all, all uh, I should say, uh, men and women that are worthy of dignity, honor, and respect. But we also are all stained by sin. We all also will choose, will, will apart from God's grace, choose sin rather than God. And the Bible says the wages from that, what we deserve from that is death. And the truth is, anything other than death that we receive is grace from God. Anything above death is God's grace shown to us, offered to us. See, grace is grace is defined as the unmerited favor of God. It's him giving fullness of life to undeserving sinners like you and me through Jesus our Lord. That is the grace of God, and we have a beautiful picture of it in this passage. Point number two, what happens when we forget God's grace? What does it look like when we don't believe that God is gracious, when we are not standing on the rock of ages, on the attribute of his grace. You see, if the story of the younger brother reveals God's grace, in the older son, we see many characteristics of not truly believing in the grace of God. We see the fruits of uh, a disbelief in grace or an unbelief in grace in the older son. Read verse 25 to 32 with me. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drawn near to the house. He heard music and dancing. And you know that's a good party, right? When you can hear the music and dancing from blocks away, from a mile away, you know that that is a good celebration, and that is a party. And so verse 26, it continues. Uh, so this son, uh, the older son, he hears this party from afar, and he calls one of the servants and asks what these things meant. He's like, hey, what's this ruckus about? Verse 27, the servant had said to him, your brother's come has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But the older son, he was angry and refused to go in. So his father came out and treated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours, he comes, and who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, the father said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And that's the end of our passage, the end of chapter 15. Now what we see here, what we just read is that we see that this son, this older son, reeks of self-righteousness. You see, the younger son was self-indulgent and far from God, but he repented and came back. But this older son was uh, self-righteous and equally far from God. Yet here at the end of this chapter, we see that he hasn't repented. Whereas the younger brother sought fullness in the world, the older brother, he was seeking fullness in himself. He was self-righteous. He was living in the father's home, but he forgot what that that was a gift in and of itself that's why the father reminds him hey look what i have has always been yours right it's always been yours i was never keeping it from you uh but he forgot that he it's almost like he'd lost sight of that 
He forgot just the gift of what it means to be a son of this father in and of itself. He's acting like he earned it. He's acting like he was supposed to earn it. He says, look, haven't I done all these things? But the father showed grace to the, to the younger son in obvious ways, but for the older brother, having a roof over his head, a job to hand, handle, a call uh, on the on the estate, feast, feast to, to food on, and an inheritance down the road, and, and just all the benefits, the current benefits of being a son of this father, that was still grace. That was still unmerited favor. But this second son, this older son, refused to see that. He, he was blind to seeing that. So I want you to see, what are the, the sort of what we might call the fruits of unbelief in the grace of God. What does it look like when when you uh, don't rest on, when you aren't grasping the beauty of the grace of God? The first thing is is you'll see uh, just the fruit of anger in your life. Anger. He's angry. We see that in verse 28. It says he was angry and refused to go in. What we see is he is all bent out of shape because the younger brother received things that the younger brother did not deserve. That's the point of grace, isn't it? That's the point of grace. Like what we see is an older brother who's just as lost as the younger one. He's judgmental and he's angry. And do you see why he's judgmental and angry? It's because because he believes that he has a good report card. And that because he has a good report card, because he says, Father, I've always served you. I've always done these things. I have a good report card. And therefore you owe me these things, right? What that tells us is that he isn't obeying the Father uh, out of love for him. He's obeying the Father because he just wants to get stuff in return. See, he's just as lost. He is just as self-focused as the younger son. Some of us, we have that sort of posture with God, right? Where we think, God, like, uh, 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 I'll... all only because I'm I'm doing these things because I'm doing all these these great things. Uh, I feel like you owe me, right? Like I feel like my life should be comfortable. Like I should get what I want. But that's a misunderstanding of the grace of God and a misunderstanding of what it means to just enjoy being a son or daughter of the living God. Number two, another uh, fruit of unbelief in the grace of God is you think you have to prove yourself. Verse 29, he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. You see, he's, he's trapped in this, in this, uh, in this uh, lifestyle of joyless obedience and, and duty, right? He says, oh, I've, I've been serving you all these years, right? Like the older son looked great on the surface, but, on the surface, but, but below that in, in the center of his heart, his relationship with his dad was not a healthy one. He didn't see his dad as the gracious father that he is. He didn't understand what it means to be a son of this father. The third mark of unbelief is you take criticism or failure badly. Now, we just kind of see this generally in this passage, how when your identity is in your performance, then you will be quick to defend yourself. If you receive your righteousness uh, from what you do rather than on what Jesus has done, then you're going to be get really defensive when people start to point out your flaws or point out your sins or your areas of growth, ways that, that, that you should be convicted by. You know, ra- rather than being convicted and self-reflective, you'll start to get defensive, right? Uh, say things like, oh, that's just how I am, or I don't know, like you're being too legalistic or whatever. By the way, legalism is not when you encourage somebody to do something that the Bible tells us to do, 
right? Like that's not legalism. Legalism is when you add rules in addition to what the Bible says. If you're just telling somebody to like try and live in line with the scriptures, what God, uh, what Christ models for us and what God commands of us, like that's not legalism, all right? But see, this son, he he was taking this 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 posture. His heart wasn't in the right place, and 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 he took uh, criticism uh, poorly, right? He thought he was better than he was. Number four, the uh, the fourth mark is is anxious performance. We see this again in verse twenty nine. Uh, later on, he says, "I never disobeyed your command." You see, when we when we do this, well. Uh, when we have this sort of posture of heart, it reflects that this belief that um, the way that we get into uh, you know God's list, if we want to call it that, the way that we get into the book of life is by doing all the right things, right? Like if I do Christian things, then then I should be blessed and free of burdens. On the flip side, we think you know if I'm doing bad things, then God's going to punish me. But look, that like that view is so skewed. That's not the gospel. The gospel tells us that if you're in Christ, there's no more punishment for your sin. Jesus absorbed that. There's no purgatory. Sure, there's consequences for our sin as Christians, but there's no punishment for it. Your performance is not what ultimately matters. It's Christ's performance. It's Jesus's performance and that he performed perfectly. This leads us now to our third and final point, why grace changes everything. Why grace changes everything. Remember our good news that we went over. That by the grace of God, Christ gives us the fullness of himself so that we can find true fullness in him. Now this is good news for both the younger brother types and the older brother types. You see, some of you are younger brother types, right? Like you might lean towards more like self-indulgence. That might better describe you. You're you're trying to make sense of the world and feel right. You're trying to grasp for certainty and uncertainty uh, by indulging in the desires of the flesh and the desires of the world. Uh, you've run off to, 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 to your propensity. You might be just to live however you want. Maybe you're open about it. Maybe you kind of do it secretly, like on, on, on a hush level. But like the younger brother, you'd rather have God's gifts than God himself. You'd rather have the benefits than the benefactor, a relationship with the benefactor. Some of you are the older brother types, right? Rather than being self-indulgent, you're self-righteous, right? So you're trying to also make sense of the world. You're trying to make yourself just feel right. You're grasping for righteousness. You're, you're searching for certainty in uncertain times. Uh, but the way that you do that is by being uh, an, an extra self-righteous person, an extra good person, by working really hard, by having all the right answers, by doing all the right rituals, uh, which those aren't all bad, but they aren't what saves you. Right? They don't know what, what saves you. And, and, and when you treat it like what saves you, it starts to rob you of your joy. Uh, when you see yourself as like, I have to do these things rather than I get to do these things because of what Jesus has done for me. And when Jesus is telling this story, when he's telling this parable, he's, the point he's making by ending the story like this in verse 32 is that really both brothers are lost. Both of them are wrong. One is lost in self-indulgent hedonism. The other is lost in self-righteous religion. 
The younger brother is saying, look, the gospel, the way of life is uh, to get saved is by being open-minded and progressive and indulging. Uh, And if you're too narrow-minded, then you're out. The older brother is saying, no, the gospel, the way, the truth uh, to get saved is, is through good behavior. And bad behavior is how you get out. But Jesus is saying, no, there's a better way than both. There's a truer way. Uh, Tim Keller is known for calling this the third way. He says it's often the third way that is the better, more beautiful way. Uh, Keller says the gospel is neither religion nor irreligion, but something else entirely, a third way of relating to God through grace. There's that word, grace. You see, that's how we can truly relate to God. It's through grace that he freely offers, that he freely gives, just because that's the kind of father that he is. You see, Jesus doesn't try and find the middle ground. He doesn't say be a little indulgent uh, and a little self-righteous. It's not about one or the other. He has an entirely different gospel. He has an entirely different hope, something that's so much better, so much more beautiful than we could ever imagine. Imagine. He says the humble are in and the proud are out. You see, the one brother tried to control the father's gifts by living a really rebellious life. And the other brother tried to control and attain the father's gifts by living a very good life. But both were trying, in some sense, to be their own functional Lord and Savior. Both were seeking fullness apart from Christ. You see, there is grace amazing grace, abundant grace for both the self-indulging younger brother and for the self-righteous older brother. So maybe you're here this morning and you really resonate with that younger brother type, right? You've heard the invitation of the grace of God this morning and you're coming to this realization that, that you need to repent and return to him. Please know and be encouraged that, that, that and know that you, you don't have to come to him with anything. You can come to him empty-handed, just like the younger brother, and, 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 and be received uh, by the grace of God through Jesus. You don't even have to start at the bottom rung. You can be received as a son, receive your sonship as a son or daughter of the living God, and know that on the other cro- side of the cross of Jesus, receiving him, There is no shame, only joy, and life, life in the fullest. Maybe you're tuning in and you really resonate with the older brother type, where you realize this morning that you've kind of thought and acted like you've got it all together. And the grace of God in this passage is showing you that you don't, that you don't have it all together. But be encouraged to know that there's good news for you too that you don't have to look within to gain the fullness of life, that you don't ever have to work and work and work and try to measure up. You already have that acceptance. You already have your sonship. You've had it all along in Jesus Christ, by grace, through faith. And it's through faith and repentance that you can actually now live out that grace for the glory of God and the good of others. Not because you have to, but because you get to. Not because you feel burdened to, but because you feel liberated and free to. You see, Jesus is how the Father runs to us. Jesus, through his life, death, 
burial, and resurrection is how God the Father runs to us, pursues us, embraces us. Jesus is how the Father blesses us, receives us, adopts us, forgives us. Jesus is how the Father uh, robes us, includes us, and covers us to make us righteous. Not a righteousness of our own, but his righteousness. Jesus is how the Father invites us to celebrate at his table for all eternity. That is amazing grace, and it changes everything. It changes uh, our relationship with sin. It changes our relationship with self-righteous religion. It changes us by giving joy and fullness, life in the full, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you'd come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.